0: So I was kind of, uh, I, I, this is a new series, I don't know what the series is called, um, it may be called Hay uh, uh, hey Pot, This is Kettle, because uh, tonight I'm preaching about humility, so um, I'm not sure what the name of the series is going to be, but it's a new series, uh, I, I was kind of hit in the face with some stuff today that made me realize that um, humility is something that back in... in in ancient Rome, humility was something that was looked down upon, and pride was something that was exalted, um, so that was the way things were because they thought the more you could get, the better you are uh, the whoever 's back you had to step on to get to the next place and, then that 's to be revered. Uh, you know whoever you could defeat to move up in the ranks that was a good thing and Jesus came along and in, and what Jesus said is, in order for you." To be at the top, in order for you to be considered the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must be at the lowest. You must be the least of all of these. And Jesus kind of flipped it all on, on it, upside down and said, you know what? It's different in the kingdom of God than what it is here on this earth. And I, I think that it's important for us as human beings to keep that perspective. I, I, I was talking to a couple of different people today, and we were talking about... Um, Kind of moving up in the ranks in our company, so we were we were watching this town hall that was happening. I was in Covington, Georgia, and we it's a huge place, and there's you know a couple of hundred people there watching this town hall, you know, live in in the room, and then there's there's you know thousands of people watching it uh, online. And, and this guy is he's up there speaking, and he's talking, and and I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking about his life, and his life really consists of going around from place to place, all these different places. They are around the world. Admittedly, it's cool to be able to travel to Rieti and, and, and hang out there and do a speech there and then go over to, uh, to Brussels and do another speech there, but that's what he spends his time doing. And it's just one nice restaurant to the next, and I don't know what his family situation is like, but I know that he's probably not seeing them a whole lot. And I, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine who happens to be a Christian, and he's a guy I really respect and I was talking to him, I said, We were up like in the balcony area and, and, and we were like looking down on everybody and all this kind of stuff and I was looking at this guy and I said, Would you ever want his job? And he said, Not in a million years. No way. He said he said, It would have to be one of those situations where, you know, the the frog in the pot of boiling water with it, he just gradually got turned up and one day I look around and oh my goodness, how did I get to be a vice president kind of thing? He said, That's the way it would have to happen because I have no desire to pursue that and to chase after this American dream and and have all these responsibilities and all these things going on. He said, "No, mm, I don't want that," um, and I I really respected that because I was like, "That's exactly how I feel, dude. I I do don't want to do what that guy does. I I don't care what his paycheck looks like. I do, I don't want that, you know." And, and then I was I was talking to one of my employees later on in the day who is also a Christian. Uh, Both of these guys are really strong Christians, and I was talking to to both of them, and God just kind of hit me with this, and I was talking to him, and and he was talking about his desires and what he wants to do. Um, He's almost to retirement age, and what he wants to do is he wants to be like a heads down programmer and work on like whatever's right in front of him and not be in management at all. Like he wants to be a computer programmer, and that's all he wants to do. No desire to move up or any of that kind of stuff. He said, I've tried the management thing before, that's not for me. I just want to sit here and build stuff. That's what he said. And and he said, so whatever I have to do in order for me to just sit here and build stuff, he said, that's what I want to do. And I got to thinking about both these guys, and I was like, you know what? One thing that kind of sets them apart because they are Christians is that they're, they're content with where they are. It's not about what I can attain and what kind of level of, of prominence I can have, or any of that kind of stuff, or even how big my paycheck is, if they're content and they're happy and where they are, they're like, that's good enough for me. And, and I, I think that the American dream is to obtain as much as you possibly can, have as big of a paycheck as you possibly can, and then as big of a car payment as you possibly can, right? Like, that's that's how the American dream works, right? Um, I've talked to people that have a lot of money, and they tell me, you know what, um, you <laughs> You have a lot of money, that's true, but you're just as broke because you, you, your cars are more expensive and your house is more expensive, so you're just as broke. So um, they said it's not necessarily like you think that it is where everything's paid for and you know they, they say that it's it's not really um, what you think that you're uh, striving for, but you see these people and you see what they're doing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being an executive. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a vice president or president or CEO or anything like that. If If that's your calling in life, then pursue that. Do that and, and do it to the glory of God. But for me, I like I don't I don't have any desire for that. That's not what God has called me to do. And uh, this buddy of mine that I was talking to, he was like he's like, I've been watching the church online, you know, looks like things are going good, it looks really cool online and all this kind of stuff and um he said he said, That's awesome, you know. And I was thinking, Yeah, he gets it, you know. He gets what's important to me, uh what's important to him, you know, he gets it. And uh, that's one of the reasons he's a very good friend of mine. But we were just talking about how we have no desire to be at that way up there in the company and climb the corporate ladder and all that kind of stuff that, that, you know, everybody thinks probably from the outside looking in, they think that we'd like to do that. But the reality is we don't. I I don't have any desire for that. Um, But anyway, so humility, which Jesus began to show as a virtue. um, it, It really is something that I believe... If you look at the source of all sin, all sin really boils down to one thing, and that is pride. So whether it's jealousy, you think about that, and, and your pridefulness and your desire to have what somebody else has, that's jealousy. If you think about your, your your lust for other things, it's basically your pride welling up and thinking that, that you know what, you deserve whatever it is that you're chasing after, Um all sin, if you think about it, it really boils down to pride. And what is pride? Pride is nothing more than exalting myself, right? So if you think about it, the only way that, that, that sin takes hold in your life is when you exalt yourself and God becomes less and you become more. If you think about it, that's exactly the way Lucifer fell from being an angel because he said, I will be like the Most High. If you think about uh, the garden, what happened in the garden? Um, you know, it was a matter of this tree will actually give you knowledge and you will be like God. And that's what Satan even said. That's what the servant even said. It's like, like if you eat of this fruit, God's going to be jealous. That's the reason he doesn't want you to eat of it because you're going to have the knowledge that he has. So when you eat of the fruit, you're really just saying, you know what? Uh, my way is better. What I desire is better. So I'm going to take this on and I'm going I'm to pursue this. Well, the Roman Empire, in case you're wondering... That is what destroyed the Roman Empire, is pride. Because they were very full of themselves, and they were very prideful of the way that they do things, and they were, were, were great conquerors and their military and all that, and, and the Roman Empire fell for that very reason, because their pride consumed them. And what I see, the handwriting on the wall that I see in this country, is the same thing. The exaltation of me. Let me elevate me. Let me pursue my desires, my wants, my needs, my, the things that I'm entitled to. Let me do that, and and then then I'll be happy, right? The reality is that will not make you happy. The only thing that will make you genuinely happy is to exalt God in your life, and the things that you do, you want to glorify Him. Whatever you do, you want it to glorify Him. That is the only thing that will truly bring you happiness, and this is called humility. And I really believe that this is what a lot of people are missing. This is what I struggle with. Pride is the number one thing that I struggle with, um, as you're a pastor, um, people probably think that, you know, oh, that must be that must be really cool to be a pastor and all this kind of stuff. The the worst part about being a pastor, I think, is the fact that you struggle with pride. And and it's a constant battle for me because I stand up here, and if there's a movement of God, I think that it has something to do with me. Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly, I think, oh, wow, that must have been a good sermon. The reality is, is the Holy Spirit of God can change the the words from my mouth to your ears to let you hear exactly what you need to hear. And though I am a vessel and, and, and obedience is important, ultimately it is God that gets the glory. It is God who has done the work. And, and, and struggling with pride is something that, that just about every pastor deals with. Um, but I'm not the only one. I think there are others that probably struggle with pride. I think there are others that probably struggle with humility, or the lack of humility. So tonight... We want to talk about the disciples, and uh, how they struggled with it as well. Jesus had promised them. He said, "Look, you're going to be, you're going to be, um, you're going to have your own throne in the kingdom of heaven, and you're going to be judging all of Israel. And you're going to be, yeah, uh, you, you know, when when this, when my kingdom is set up here on this earth, you're going to be involved in that, and you're going to be sitting." Uh, at, at, on one of the thrones and judging all of israel's is What he what he actually says. So they're like, that's why they're like, oh yay, come on, Jesus's kingdom. Yeah, let's do this thing, you know, because they're they're ready to to have their own little set up, their own little pedestal, so that they can sit up there and and be with with Jesus and rule and reign and this place of exaltation that they were desiring. I mean, I think that we sometimes think the disciples are all good and genuine in all their pursuits and all that kind of stuff. Really. Some of the times, most of the times, they were just being selfish like all of us. So here's another example of this. We're going to talk about this. You've heard the story, but I think it's important for us to go over it again. It says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her son. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. So James and John... um, If you read the other gospel accounts, you'll see that everybody was kind of arguing about, like, who was going to be the greatest. So don't get on James and John like they were the worst. Um, Even at the Last Supper, they were, like, all arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So these great disciples that we talk about were pretty much screw-ups like the rest of us. So anyway, so here they are. uh, James and John have got this idea in their head. We're going to bring our mama, and she's going to talk to Jesus for us. Don't act like you ain't ever done that before, okay? So don't don't be all high, holier than thou and be like, oh, they got to get their mama to come in and talk for them. Now that's happened to you too. So, but the reason why you kind of need to know this, um, I don't want to go through all of the different connection points. Uh, basically, what happened at at the um, the crucifixion, where uh, who was listed there and the different gospel accounts, and how it ties together, and who was there and who wasn't there, and all these kinds of things you can go and research this on your own. But basically, what it boils down to is this woman was actually Jesus's aunt. She was Mary's sister. Is what it boils down to. Okay, so I don't know about you, but most of us have an affection for our aunts. Our aunt comes and asks for something. You're like, oh, as mama's sister, you know, and you're like, okay, like what is it that you need, you know? And I think James and John, who are Jesus's cousins, are actually playing into this a little bit. We'll bring the ant up in there. He really likes. He really likes the ant. He, he he called us, so he really likes us too. But and and then what what happens? There's a little bit of a mind game going. on. They're trying to play mind games with Jesus, right? So the ant comes to Jesus, and what does she do? It says she kneels down in front of him, treats him like a king. You know, like like let let me. Uh, so so this this is her nephew. But here she, she's like, okay, I recognize who you are, okay, so I'm going to kneel down, lay and bow to you like you're a king to 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 play to his emotions a little bit, which I don't know if you recognize this, but if you're you know, you're know, the son of man and you know everybody's mind and their thoughts, so that's probably not going to work out for you playing with little mind games with Jesus. But she's trying it anyway, right? So she comes, she kneels down before him, and, and she comes to ask him for a favor. Actually, if you kind of read the other gospel accounts, she basically asks him for a favor before she even tells him what it is. Like, hey, can you do me a favor? And he's like, what is it? And she was trying to get him hooked in. You ever done that? Like, especially when you were a little kid, like, what? Hey, can I, can I do something? And your parents are like, well, do what? Oh, well, just something. Is it okay if I do something? Well, tell me what it is first. Now you just say it's okay, and then I'll tell you what it is. You know, you, when you're little, you kind of rope your parents into stuff like that. She's trying to do this with Jesus a little bit. It's a little bit of an immature act, and she's trying to say, okay, okay, you just say, okay, you're going to do me a favor, and then and, and then I'll tell you what it is. So Jesus, being Jesus, it's written in red. He goes, so what is it that you request? What are, what are you asking for? What do you really want? Okay, just spit it out. I think he knew full well what she was about to say, but he's got to ask the question anyway. Anytime God asks a question, we know it's an invitation. Here, I believe the invitation is this. It's for her to be transparent with Jesus and recognize who he is as the Son of Man and and recognize that what she's about to ask for is pretty stupid, actually, if you look at it. So here, he's like, okay, so what is your request? She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit on the places of honor next next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. That's a pretty tall request, if you ask me, you know. Like, Jesus, you're going to reign in God's kingdom for, for all of eternity. Do you mind if my bro- my two sons sit, one on your right and one on your left? Is it okay if they chill out right next to you? Um, that seems like a pretty big request for all of eternity to me, but she didn't have a problem asking Jesus. She was like, look, you like them, you like me. Hey, can we work something out here? Like, can they just, can they just be to your right and to your left? Can't they just rule and reign right next to you? There's, yeah, we know there's some others. We know there's ten others, but but like my sons, you know, you like them. They're kind of in your inner circle. Is it okay if, they, if they're close to you when you set up your kingdom? Well, this is kind of the reason that it's kind of a stupid request. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? So Jesus gives her an invitation by saying this. He's like, you don't even understand what you're asking for. You see, in the kingdom of God, and we're going to read this in just a second, to be the greatest, you got to be the least. To be the king, you got to start as a slave, right? And, and what he's saying is, in order for you to get to the point where you sit to my right or to my left, that, that you have got to endure immense suffering, the same immense suffering That I'm about to endure. He talks about a bitter cup. It's the same bitter cup that he talks about when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Saying, God, if there's any way, remove this cup from me. It's a cup of suffering that he's about to have to endure. And and here we see this same cup of suffering being brought up. Like, Jesus is like, do you really want your sons to carry a cross, an instrument of torture, be hung on that cross to the point where they can't breathe, and they die once they break their legs so that they, they can't hold themselves up to catch their breath anymore. Beaten beyond the comprehension to the point you can't recognize them as men. Have a crown of thorns placed on their head. Have people spit in their face and rip the beard off their face. Is that what you're signing your kids up for? Is that, is that what you want your little boys to, to inherit? Is, is that kind of suffering? Because that's what the kingdom of God is like. It ain't like what you think. It's not this great place of exaltation. You see, that great place of exaltation comes to those who suffer the most. I know that this sounds crazy, but the way that it kind of works, and if you look at what what Paul says to the Church of Corinth, he says he says, you are storing up for yourselves an eternal weight of glory for the suffering that you endure. Like, not only is it temporary, the suffering that you're going to endure, but you're actually storing up for yourself an eternal weight of glory. You're storing up for yourself this treasure, if you will, this, this place of exaltation in the kingdom of God by the suffering that you endure for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, the more you suffer, the, the, the more exaltation you get in the kingdom. And, and I know that even though that all of us, if we're Christians, we inherit the kingdom of God, and that sounds like that that's the pinnacle, like everybody should be on the same level, but the way it's described is that there is an extra level of exaltation for those that suffer for the gospel of Christ. For those that endure, for those that, you know, we've got missionaries out there that are skinned alive for the, for the gospel of Jesus. And, and we, you know, we look at ourselves and we think that we've done a lot and we talk about Jesus at the lunch table, you know. We think that we've done a whole lot when we pray over our meal and there are other people around us, man. We're like, man, I am suffering for the cause of Jesus. We think that we've really done something and there, there are missionaries out there that, that are dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here, what Jesus is saying is, if you really want to be great, if you really understand what it means to be great, you've got to understand what it means to endure suffering, to endure what it means to be at the lowest, lowest point. And he gives her an invitation. He says, is this really what you want for your sons? Now, the interesting part is is that they will. Um, You know, John will be exiled to Patmos and, and have to endure many hardships there. Uh, but but the rest of the disciples are killed for their faith. They're 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 they're, uh, they're murdered for their faith, and um, they actually do endure all the suffering. But at this point in time, I don't think Zebedee recognizes the kind of suffering that we're talking about. She doesn't recognize what she's signing her kids up for. And he says, "Is this really what you want? Is this really what you think that you want for your kids?" Oh yes. They replied, we are able. Oh, boy. If that's not the picture of pride, I don't know what is. Oh, yes, we got this. We can endure suffering. Isn't that what we say, too? Isn't that what what Peter said? Peter said, you know what, Jesus? I don't care if everybody denies you. You can count on me, bro. I am your man. Don't worry about whatever they do. Hey, I know all them. They don't care about you like I do. I, I'm your man. When it when it goes down, I'm gonna be right there by your side. Don't you worry. And Jesus looks him straight in the eye and says, "Satan's already asked to sift you as wheat, Peter. Before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times." And of course, Jesus, being Jesus, is right. Well, we talk a good game, don't we? Yeah, I'm I'm ready to do suffering. I'm ready to to be a slave. I'm ready to do whatever it takes, man. Because you know what? I want I want what the kingdom of God has to offer. Do you really? Because this is what I think happens. I think we say that, but I think that we say, oh, I'm writing God a blank check with my life. Whatever he calls me to do, I'm going to do it. Right? Oh, I'm, I'm ready. Jesus, whatever you sign me up to do, I'm in, man. I'm in. I am your man. Don't worry about anybody else. I'm your man. And then what happens is we flip that check over and we start writing little caveats. on Well, as long as you don't call me to leave Oxford... You know, As long as you don't call me to send my kids off to be missionaries, as long as you don't call me to do this or do that or do this or do that, then then I'm your man. I'm the, I'm the one that you can trust. I'm the one that you, I can do it, Jesus. We sure can. We can handle it, Jesus. Just make sure you don't send my kid to Africa, but I can do everything else, you know. I'm so glad that Jesus recognizes this about us. I'm so glad that he looks at Peter and says, man, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm so glad he looks at Zebedee and goes, you don't know what you're asking. And they they go ahead and chime in. Oh, we got it, Jesus. We're good. Yes, we can. No idea what, what they're signing up for. The good news is they will get to hold true to that promise by the end of their life, having suffered for the gospel of Christ. Jesus told them, you indeed will drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or to my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. I think this is so cool. I, it, Jesus is saying, "You know what? Ultimately, my Father, who I am here to glorify, that I'm supposed to to point towards, He's the one that makes the decisions. There is only one good, and it's Him," is what Jesus says. It's amazing to me, and I don't understand the Trinity, and I can't really explain it to you, and I can't really give you a diagram or a picture to help you understand the Trinity, but I can say this, that Jesus is is God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit all at the same time, and the fact that Jesus is glorifying His Father, that Jesus is pointing to His Father saying, He's the one that makes all the decisions, but yet He is God, and He's the Holy Spirit too, I don't get all that, but I think that it's really cool that Jesus says, you know what? I'm not the one. I'm just here to be the sacrifice. I'm the one that's supposed to be the slave. I'm the one that's supposed to be the servant. I think it's really cool that Jesus doesn't even say, hey, when we get there, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll decide then um, who, gets, who gets to sit on my right and who gets to sit on my left. He doesn't even say that. What he says is, that's my father's responsibility. My father is the one designated to do that. Even in this statement right here, this is what I think is so cool about this statement. Even though the fact that he is the Father and the Holy Spirit at the same time, he's still lowering himself in the line of succession. You know what I mean? Like he's saying, that's not even my responsibility. There's somebody higher than that that's going to take over that responsibility. What a beautiful picture of his humility and just saying that alone. He didn't say, you know, hey, we'll see. We'll check it out. We'll see how much you suffer. He didn't say that. He just said, that's not even for me. I'm just here as an instrument, as a tool, as a mechanism for you to be able to get to Him. And I think that is such a beautiful picture of our Savior and the way that He behaves and the le- the level of humility that He exhibits. When the other, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. That's a big word; it just means they were mad, ticked off, whatever you want to call it. You know why they were mad? <laughs> it wasn't like, oh. You guys, you shouldn't be asking Jesus about that. You guys are no good because you asked Jesus who could sit on your right and to your left. No, that's not the reason. You know why they were mad? It was probably one or two reasons. Either they got to Jesus first and they had been arguing about it already, or they're mad because they brought their mama, you know, and like that. Man, if I'd have thought about it, I'd have brought my mama, you know. But whatever the case was, it's not because they were they were like chastising the other. The other two, it was because they were mad that they got to Jesus first. They wanted to sit on the right and to the left. These people that followed Jesus around and walked with him day after day and were really close to him and saw him do miracles and heal people and, 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 and let blind people able to see just like instantaneously. These people were the ones that were mad because James and John got there first and asked that could they sit on to the left or to the right. I'm glad that I see myself in these guys because I know how messed up I am and and to see that there are these guys that walk around with Jesus day after day and how messed up they are, it kind of makes me go, well, maybe I got a shot, you know? Maybe I'll just squeak in there, you know? I I said the other day to somebody, it's like, you know, we desire to to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I said, but if I go up to him and he just goes, eh, I said, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Like, if he just goes, you got a D minus, but you get in, I'll be like, whoo hoo I'm going to be excited, son. Like, I, 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 well done, my good and faithful servant. If he just goes, eh, you know, I, all right, hey, that's good enough, you know. Here, I, I think that, that you see these guys and you see what kind of people they are, and you're like, man, I can identify with that. I can see where I would be in that situation. I can see where I could lack the same humility that they lacked. So Jesus got to tell them a story, right? Um, he says, "You." But uh, Jesus called them together. He's got to bring them together, and he's got to teach them, right? So the whole reason that Jesus exists and what he does on this earth is to show that he is God, right? To show the whole world that he is God, and to show these disciples to grow their faith, so that one day they will go to the end of themselves for the gospel of Jesus, right? That's the two main things he does as he comes to the earth: is to is to 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 show that he's God, therefore he can be the sacrifice for our sins. And people will recognize that and also to show these disciples and grow their faith. That's why, that's why when they're in the, in the boat about to drown, they're like, what are we going to do, Jesus? You're asleep in the bow, and we're going to die. And he goes, where is your faith? Where is your faith? You think I brought you all the way here so you could die in a boat with me, asleep in the bow? Is that really what you think happened? Is that how you think it's going to go down? And he continues to challenge them in their faith and continues to say, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Don't you see that I'm trying to grow your faith in every single situation that we go through? So I believe that Jesus is is trying to show them and teach them once again. He says, you know that the rulers in this world Lord lord over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. I think that what he is saying here is when he says among you, I think that is among all of us as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give him his life as a ransom for many. So we know what Jesus is saying here, but I'm going to reiterate it and say it again. Jesus is saying it's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's, it's not a place where you go in and you're like, ooh, now I'm ruling and reigning over people, and now I have all this authority, and now I, I've got a big badge on, and I've got a medal that I, that's pinned to my chest, and, and ooh, I get to be that way. No, 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 no. When you become a leader in the kingdom of God, that, me, that means you become the lead servant, that you serve everybody else, that, that, that you're at the lowest of the low on the totem pole, when you say yes, Jesus, I'm in, and you write him a blank check, it's not a place of exaltation that you get to when you do that. It's it's a place of uh, of servanthood that you get to. As a matter of fact, this this particular word that they use, diakonos, in this particular passage, is 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 where we get the word deacon from. And you know that the word deacon, as it's used, and they they chose to to use this word deacon, is used uh, over and over again in the New Testament. And you understand that that this is a very low term. This is somebody that performs very menial tasks. It's not something that somebody is, they get all dressed up for, and, and they go do this, and they go do that, and everybody's like, ooh, they're a deacon. It's, no, it's like, it's like that's the person that takes out the trash. You know, That's the person who scrubs the toilets, if you're wondering. That's the picture of this particular word and what it means. It's, it's not a high place that you get exalted, oh, it's a deacon. No. No, 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 a deacon is a lead servant. A deacon is somebody who says, I'll serve no matter how dirty, how nasty, whatever, it need, whatever needs to be done, that's what I'll do. And in the kingdom of God, that's what servanthood looks like. That's what leadership looks like. It's not a place where you get lifted up. No, 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 no not at all. It's a place where you take yourself and you put yourself low and you serve everybody else. I told you before that those that will uh, inherit the most in the kingdom of God will be those that have suffered the most for the gospel. Well, think about this. Who is the one person in heaven right now who has suffered the most for the gospel? Who lived a perfect life, didn't deserve it at all, but suffered the most for the gospel? It's Jesus Christ, right? And Jesus says, you imitate me. You be like me. So what does that mean? It means if you want to be the most, you serve like Jesus served. You serve go to the point, even to the point of death, if that's what's required. When you write that blank check in my life, in your life, you say, no matter what, the answer is yes, Jesus. No matter what you, however you fill out that check, the answer is yes. Even if you write on that check, it's going to cost your life. You say, yes, sign me up. Sign me up. When the disciples, James and John said, said, we sure can, we can do that. They, what they were saying was true. They just didn't understand it when they were saying it. My hope and my prayer for us as Christians is that, is that, this, is that we'll, we'll look at our lives and we'll see that pride is something that we all struggle with. And, 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 and in rebellion to that pride, which has a tendency to, to overtake us and rule our lives, And we try to get to the next level or whoever we can step on to achieve more or get more or whatever. We'll look at our lives and say, you know what, where can I serve people? Who are the people that God has called me to serve? Who has God called me to to take out the trash for? Uh, There's been several students in my ministry before. I looked at them in the face and I said, I pray to God that that one day when you're a pastor that I'll be able to sweep the floors in your church. And I really meant that. Not because I'm trying to be like overly, I'm going to be the most the biggest servant or whatever, I'm just truly saying that that I would be willing to do that, whatever it takes, because I believe there are some, some great individuals, some, some great men and women of God that have some tremendous potential, and, and if they allow God to use that in their life, man, they're going to do great things for the kingdom of God, but the things they're going to have to wage war against most in order to be able to do that is, is pride. They need to become the greatest servant. That's how you become the greatest in the kingdom of God. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Lord, I know that uh, this is difficult, Lord, as we think about your kingdom. We say it out loud, and we think about servanthood, and we think about serving others, and we think about what that looks like, but God, do we enact that? Is that the way that we behave in our lives? I, I know that I have begged people on Saturday mornings to come and run the bases with kids with disability, and many people don't. Or many people do it for a Saturday and they say, I've got too much, too many other things to do, therefore it's not worth my time. Uh, I've seen people time after time say, you know what, I want to serve this church, I want to do whatever it takes, I'll I'll take out the trash if that's what's necessary, I want to do whatever it takes so that the kingdom of God can be exalted and we can use this place to reach people for the kingdom. And maybe they take out the trash one week. Or maybe they take out the trash one week and then they're not here the next. God, I pray that we wouldn't be like that. I pray that we wouldn't be these firework Christians that just explode and there's a lot of sparkle and a lot of flash, and then shortly thereafter we're gone. Lord, I pray that we would be the example that Jesus set, which is to do what is hard, to not do what is easy, but to do what is hard. God, not so that we'll get something at the end, not so that we will be repaid a hundredfold for what we have given up for the kingdom of God that's not the reason why we do it we do it because we have given you a blank check with our lives and we say whatever it takes Father I'll do it because you are my Lord because you own my life I'm a servant to you Lord I pray that we would recognize just how deep this is and how deep it goes Lord I I see so many people that, that they take their Christianity and they take their walk with Christ so flippantly they, they're not willing to do whatever it takes. That, that God, if it inconveniences them just a little bit, they'll say, no, that's not for me. How is that glorifying to the kingdom of God? I'll, I'll never know. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like that. And maybe there's some people in here and you've convicted them over their selfishness and maybe that's what they need to pray about. I don't know. But this is what I do know, that you are the sovereign God of the universe and you know. And when you speak to their hearts, you speak directly to them. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you have the power to speak to hearts. So, Lord, whatever conviction people may be feeling, Lord, this is not intended to make them feel bad. This is intended to be truth that people can embrace. So, Lord, I pray that you would take your truth and you would use your truth to convict hearts, to open up people's eyes and let them see truth. Oh, thank you so much for this precious word and how you have used, God, it through your Holy Spirit to awaken us to maybe some blind spots in our lives. God, you do the work as we respond to you in Jesus' name.